You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Good morning, everybody. It's uh, Wednesday morning, and it's great to be all together this morning and have you join us in our continual study here. Uh, we are on class two of social justice and the Bible, or social justice and God. And um, it's been a great study. I hope I hope you found Monday's class interesting. Uh, um, you know, I've been studying this all week, just really trying to dive in and and grasp and learn and understand. The truth is, I've been studying this for a couple of years, and I was preparing uh, to write some things about it. And uh, of course, with everything that's been happening and the injustices uh, that have been exposed and come to the surface in the last couple of weeks particularly against the black community, but um, along with it, the, the, the topic of injustice and what do we do, uh, I've gone back. And as I said um, earlier, you know, at the, on the class number one, I'm not, I'm not giving this class as a sociologist. I, I'm not a sociologist or as a psychologist. I'm not dealing with, with uh, healing and, and grief recovery. I'm, I'm dealing with it as a biblical scholar. I'm I'm trying to approach this really as a biblical scholar, theologian, and as a minister, and and trying to give practicals to give us direction on this because um, I think there's a lot of questions. I think a lot of us who are people of faith, who have have who are Christians, who are disciples of Jesus, we we want to know what am I supposed to do and what am I not supposed to do. And and there's a lot of talk out there of you should do this or you shouldn't do this. Or you, and with anything and everything, we go back to Scripture, right? And we and we make sure that what we do is deeply rooted in Scripture because um, uh, that's our life. We're disciples of Jesus. And I think in particular, I think there are, myself, I'm, I've been very convicted the last couple of weeks about uh, speaking up more and playing a greater role in being a voice and defending and standing up for I'm 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 convicted I'm I'm just telling you right now you know that's part of what I'm sharing here uh, but also you know I'm I'm trying to be as objective as I can and the truth is none of us can be fully objective where where we all have our lenses we all have our experiences we all have our backgrounds which affects how we see scripture, how we interpret it, how we put it into practice. But as much as we can, if we're aware of our lenses and we're aware of our biases, then that helps us to take a, a, a good look around. So that's what I'm going to try to do. We're not going quickly through this. Uh, I think it's a subject that's worthy of taking a little time to really dig in there. So I'm going to go ahead and say a prayer and uh, we'll jump. Uh, we'll jump in. Father God, thank you so much for just teaching us, God, and being patient and working with us and, and helping us to understand your will, God, helping us to grow in our knowledge of your will, our knowledge of you. And uh, Father, I believe so much that, that, that you are the truth, you are the way, you are the life. And so I just pray that you'll help us all to grow in our understanding, especially in this area with social justice, and particular in this time where uh, so many atrocities have come to light and come to the surface, and particularly with the black community. And I just pray, Father, that we'll, that we'll, we'll handle all these things properly, spiritually, 
and as they deserve to be handled, God. Thank you so much, Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so so last week, you know, I'm going to start where I, I, I kind of left off last week. I went through a little bit of this of the Old Testament scriptures. Um, and again, as a reminder, social justice is a huge theme in the minor prophets. You know, particularly Micah, particularly uh, Hosea, particularly Amos. Um, they are the prophets of social justice in one sense because they address directly some of the issues uh, dealing with poverty, dealing with oppression, um, even slavery. Uh, they 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 go after it, and and so uh, in a lot of ways, these have been my favorite books in the among the the the, the minor prophets. Um, and this one is probably anybody who knows me knows this the one that's my go-to scripture uh, for many things because it's such a foundational scripture. Micah six eight. He has shown you, immortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you. And you know, there's not many times where the Bible says this is what God requires. This is what God really wants. Anytime the Bible says that, you definitely want to pay attention because many, many things we're trying to figure out. How does that apply? How does that apply? How do we do this? How do we do that? And 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 how important is this to God? There are a few times where it's crystal clear. This is super important to God. This is one of those. So this is what the Lord requires of you. This is what he wants. To act justly. Okay? In other words, to, to in some translations, say do justice. So it's not it's not it's not just believe in justice, it's not acknowledge justice, it's not uphold justice, it's do justice, um, and it's an action. It's a call to action. Do what is just, what is fair, what what you know what what is justice out there, and to love mercy, that we we should love being merciful, being being the kind of people that are merciful. And to walk humbly with your God, and um, and I talked about these three a little bit last week. Um, now here's the amazing thing: is that Jesus repeated the scripture in Matthew 23. It's the chapter of the famous seven woes. This is Jesus is wrapping up his ministry, and he blasts the Pharisees seven times. He rebukes them, and this is one of them. This is one of the seven woes. And it's easy to remember, Matthew 23, verse 23. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a, you out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Now here's the, here's the amazing thing about it is that okay, there's a whole lot here. There's a whole lot here, and this is classic Jesus. You know, um, somebody I heard somebody say the other day that oh Jesus never got angry, and I was like what? Uh, Jesus got angry quite a few times. This is a good chapter. You want to see Jesus angry? This chapter right here. I mean, you know when somebody's talking to you saying woe to you, you're in trouble, right? And and Jesus was absolutely angry. In this chapter, he's expressing his anger. And what is it about? It's about religion. And it's 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 about bad religion, basically. It's a chapter about bad religion. This is where he talks about, 
you know, cleaning the outside, but not the inside, about setting an example, all those things. And in this one in particular, he goes after hypocrisy. You know, he says, look, you guys, you guys, you separate your, 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 the 10th of your spices. In other words, they take that law that we're commanded to tithe, give 10% of our blessings back to the Lord. They take that to an extreme that they they literally go through their cupboard, pull out their spices and pull out a 10th of their spices. Now, is that what God wanted? Probably not. But to make sure that they're not in sin, they go to this extreme. And he says, okay, you guys do this. You go to this extreme to obey the law. You separate a tenth of your mint, your dill, and your cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law. You have basically, he's saying, you have majored in the minors and minored in what is major. And, and he says the classic three, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Okay, now now I have to point this out because somebody may notice <laughs> that there's one changed. <laughs> that that in in Micah's version it was justice, mercy, and humility. I've thought a lot about this one. About what what's the difference between humility and faithfulness? And okay, given that it's Jesus, if anybody has a right to change the scriptures, Jesus does, right? If he wants to quote it differently, that's up to him. But I thought, okay, that that can't just happen by accident. There's got to be some teaching, some kind of message here. Jesus, anytime he changes something, there's always something very powerful about it. Like when the greatest command of loving God, the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. And then he says, and the second is like it. He adds loving one another to it. Why? Well, because they have to be connected. And so he connects them there. So here he changes the the third one from humility to faithfulness. It's a different word. However, if you think about it, if you really think about it, there's something very, uh, the root is the same of faithfulness and humility. Both of them are rooted in the truth. What is the truth? Acknowledging the truth. Humility, true humility, is acknowledging the truth. The truth is, here's what I'm good at, here's what I'm not good at. That's real, That's humility. That's having a sober estimate of oneself. The truth is, it's like um, somebody, uh, I don't remember the joke, and I'm, and I'm not even going to say it right, but part of the joke is, it's like the 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 greatest linebacker is called to testify he saw a crime and the the he has to be sworn in at the court and they ask him when the lawyer asks him who's the greatest linebacker and he says i am and he says how can you do how can you say that you just took a note and he said why well, you told me to tell the truth and the truth is i'm the greatest linebacker okay so you know, sometimes it, the, knowing the truth and living by the truth isn't all negative. It's not all, well, here's what I did wrong and here's what my weakness. It's also knowing your strengths and knowing what you're good at. But it's living in the truth. So, well, what does that, that have to do with faith? Same thing. Faith is living according to the truth. 
The truth is God is God. The truth is God is all powerful. The truth is God can heal us. The truth is God has the answers. So living faithfulness is just faithfulness. Faithful is just simply living by the truth. It's acknowledging and recognizing the truth. And I think that that's a large part of why he could interchange them and why those both of those concepts, the truth about yourself or the truth about God, both of those concepts are tied to justice and mercy because you need to have both. We need to have both. We, we, when we're called to, to practice justice, you know, this is, I'm quoting Micah here, right? Now here he just lists them out, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He says, this is what you've neglected. This is what you've forgotten. You should be out there doing justice. You should be out there practicing justice. And, and that's, and, and we've already read some scriptures and we're going to read a lot more about speaking up for the voiceless, uh, uh, defending the cause of the poor, uh, 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 advocating for those who have no power for, for the weak, um, standing up for the oppressed, setting the oppressed free. Um, the, these things that we're called to go and do, and they, they can, they, they, they need direction. They need some input, right? We, and and we get it right here. So for one thing, we have to know the truth about things. What is the truth? And we have to acknowledge that truth. And I think that's, that's what, for example, I'll give you an example. Much of America is waking up right now because the truth is that the the abuse has been extraordinary in the sense that it's been so much and so bad for so long. And this is a truth that a lot of people were not really aware of. Kind of, sort of knew, but no, not really. And this dialogue that's happening across our nation is bringing things to light that is changing hearts and minds about all this. And so more people are out marching. More people are are upset about it. More people are protesting, saying, this is wrong. It has to stop. Why? Because they have come to an understanding of the truth about this. What has really been happening out there? And, and you know, we won't get into all the, well, why not? And what didn't happen? And why is it so hard? And all that kind of, that's, that, that's the other subject. You know, that's, that's the racial tension and racial harmony. And we talked some about that in the other series. And we'll be talking more about that in the future, about love. But, but they go together. And likewise, the other way, too. Like, for example, there was, there, and, and it's funny, and, and um, I've always heard of Pancho Villa as some bandito that ran around and killed everybody, right? And robbed people and stuff. And growing up in the Southwest, Hispanic, you hear the name Pancho Villa a lot. And I heard basically that he was a bandito. You know, I think that's probably what we talked about in school. So I moved to Mexico City, and there's a huge statue statue of him. And there's a day we celebrate, you know, and it's like, wait, I thought he was a bandito. I thought he was a robber, a thief. And so what's the truth about it? What is he really a hero or is he a thief? Well, okay, 
you know, the truth is he did cross the border into the United States and attacked a town in Arizona and killed a bunch of people and raped women. So was he a bandito? Yes, he was a bandito. Did he, what about, what about from Mexico's perspective? perspective? Well, he also fought for the Indians and the oppressed against the government. He stood up for them. He assembled an army, fought this, the, the cruel Santa Ana who could care less about people and, and oppressed a lot of people. And he stood up for them and he fought for them and he won victories and he beat the government armies for all these poor people. So what's the truth? Well, the truth is both of them are true. <laughs> he was a bandito and he was a guy who fought for and helped a lot of poor people. Well, what do I do with that? Can I worship him as a hero? No, not really, because he was a bandito. Well, can I just write him off as a bandito? No, not really, because he really did give his life to help a lot of poor people. And he set a lot of people free. So just knowing the truth helps me to appreciate the good he did, but not to be blind and 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 you know just worship him be a cult worshiper of him like a lot of people do with personalities you know and he's not a perfect man and he certainly did some pretty horrible things um so no he's i'm not i mean personally i never had a poster of him on my wall because of that although i am grateful for what he did for the poor so the truth is important then there's people who really Wow, they, they've stood up for their whole lives and they were never banditos. They just did what, what they could for others, for their fellow human being. Or there's causes. But the important thing is that you, you know the truth. Truth is important. Truth matters in what, the decisions we make, the things we stand up for. Um, even organizations, like I tell, part of the discussion that I've heard is, well, can I... You know, can I support this group or that group? And my advice is just make sure that you feel good about what that group stands for. If that group is doing things that you don't agree with, maybe you ought to stand up for the cause, but not for that group. Because as disciples, we want to know the truth. So so you see how important truth is. And the same thing with mercy is we want to have mercy on where we need to have mercy but we don't want to have mercy when when if somebody's being evil and doing something evil that's not the time to have mercy the time to have mercy is when somebody's suffering or somebody's repentant i mean mercy has its place multiple places but again truth is real key to that so i say all that just to 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 highlight why jesus changed it the important thing in this is what these words actually stand for and this is the undeniable call, that we're called to do justice. We're called to get things right and fair. It is, it's, it is in many ways pre-installed software in us. I mean, you can get little kid, little kid, three-year-old, four-year-old kid, who's never had a class on ethics, who didn't take philosophy, has never studied morality, but if you take something away from him that belongs to him, he's going to say, hey, not fair. That's mine. He's going to know that that's wrong. 
inherently he'll know it's wrong. Because, why? Because he's made in God's image. And God is a God of justice. And and he will react or she will react. That's not fair. It's one of the first things kids learn to say and argue for. Is they expect equality. They expect fairness. They expect not to be mistreated. That is a basic human necessity and I would dare say a right that we all have. So, and God is absolutely a God of justice. So when he says, go do justice, we need to find out what that means. How do I practice justice? How do I do that in my life? And how do I do that in these situations? And if I'm supposed to speak out for justice, where and how do I do that? And same thing with mercy, love mercy. Here's the thing about mercy is mercy really is the motivation behind just behind doing justice it's when we love somebody it's when we care about somebody it's it's the parable of the good samaritan he had mercy on him he felt for him we have to feel for somebody in order to stand up for them in order to 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 want to do something and I've shared in the past about how we would take people to Africa, donors, people who were giving to Hope Worldwide. We'd take them to Africa. We'd take them to Bolivia. We'd take them to Cambodia. Because we know something's going to happen when they go there. They are going to become aware, or it's called awoke is what it's called. As all of a sudden they become aware of poverty. And I mean, sometimes it's a it's a rude awakening. Sometimes people literally break down crying when they realize how hard it is to live in poverty. And they've known their whole lives that there's millions in poverty and done nothing. And the, so all of this guilt, shame, uh, you know, just being aghast at, the, at the, the injustice of it all, all of that rolls in and people go through this process and often involves crying and they become awoke. I think in many ways our country is becoming awoke right now about racial injustice and, 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 and what's, what's being done and what's not been done, what's changed, what hasn't changed. So I think our, our, our whole country is coming. But, but key to all this is mercy. When a wealthy person can drive by the slums and never look, never ask the lady cleaning their house, How's your family? How are your kids? How are you doing? Never ask the maid who's raised her kids. How are your kids doing? Are they going to get into college? Are they going to get ahead? Are they going to have a good life? Or never ask the gardener, you know, how are you? How's your family? Never take an interest. But when we do, and you know what, what, what makes us scared to converse or to talk to people is then all of a sudden if we hear what their life is like, mercy turns on and we take an interest in them. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's how the world will be set right is when we have mercy on one another, when we care about each other. You know, the, the Samaritan, he had no obligation to this person, to, to a Jew. He had no obligation and yet, 
His heart was moved and he had mercy on him. And that's that was the example that Jesus gave about who's my neighbor and who should I love, right? So these three are they're key to social justice, understanding misfat, which is mispat, which is justice, hesed, which is mercy and kindness, and sana, which is humility, but that gets changed to faith. But they both apply. I mean, you can call it four, but humility and faith are very tied together. That's my new conviction. Um, Hosea 6.6 6 is another one. He says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. I mean, this is another one of the classic ones from Hosea. And, and you know, it, it's, it's, this is a fascinating one because it presents a theological problem. Who asked for sacrifice? God asked for sacrifice. They didn't just come up with sacrifice on their own. They were commanded to sacrifice. So they're obeying God when they sacrifice. But he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Wait a second, God. I mean, does God just need to make up his mind? Which one do you want? Well, no, he's saying it here very clearly. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And they're still bound to sacrifice. This is They're still under the Old Testament law. This isn't a time where they've been set free of, of the Old Testament. They're still under it. He says, acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. So rather, he wants mercy and acknowledgement of God. That's, that's that humility. It's the same concept. The humility rather than sacrifice and burnt offerings. Now, isn't that fascinating? Because God is the one who asks for sacrifice and burnt offerings. But here, he wants something more important. You know this already. You know, it's it's like, the Bible doesn't command husbands throw out the trash. Husbands mow the lawn. Why? But Well, do those things need to happen? Yeah, they need to happen. But what does he command? He commands husbands, love your wives, right? Because that's the most important thing. Now, he does command that we all fulfill our responsibilities, that we all do our part, which would include trash, bills, things like that, whatever, however you divide up the division of labor. Um, but those aren't the things that are really important in a marriage. What's really important in a marriage? Love and respect. That's what's really important. And that's what the Bible commands us to do. That's what's most important. So it's not that one is not important. It's that this is so much more important. That we have mercy. That we acknowledge. And two times Jesus quoted this scripture. Again to the Pharisees. When they were criticizing him. And they, him uh, for being at Matthew's dinner. Matthew's house for dinner with Pharisees and tax collectors. This is when he tells them, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, that he tells them, basically, you need to find out what this means. And I got to tell you, for many years, I read that scripture and didn't go find out what it meant. And I did, finally, I did go find out what it meant. And I was blown away by all that is meant in this. 
And he says, and then later on in chapter uh, 12, verse 7, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. And that's a pretty powerful statement. Because they were not merciful, they were out there condemning people, judging people. See, here's the thing. You, you, you want a shot for judge, being judgmental? You want, a, you want an inoculation for that? Practice mercy. Mercy shows us to be more patient, to be more kind, to be more loving, to be more devoted. Mercy, mercy helps us to understand God's perspective and see things the way God sees them. Without mercy, we can be brutally judgmental. We can be harsh. We can be critical. We can look down on other people. Without mercy, we're harsh and we're ugly, to be honest. We're ugly. That's where racism comes from. That's where prejudice comes from. That's where abuse comes from. It's people that have no mercy for each other. So mercy is really important part of this whole social justice thing. That we have mercy, so we do not condemn each other. We do not judge each other. We do not look down on one another. This, this whole thing happening right now that we're experiencing with, with the racial tension, the dialogue that's happening in our country, it's so important. It's so important this happens. What would shut this down and what shuts down dialogue is judgment. And somebody judges the other person in the room, well, the person that nobody else is going to want to share. Nobody else is going to talk about what's on their heart, what's hurting them, what their experiences have been. And it goes in every direction, whether it's an African-American or if it's a black person sharing their hurt, the last thing they need is that hurt to be judged or dismissed or categorized as not serious. Or it's a white person sharing their fear of saying the wrong thing or of being judged themselves. They have to be listened to and acknowledged as well. And the way we're going to get through all this and, you know, we're going to, it's, it's the same thing with all the different kinds of abuse that are out there is through dialogue and through having mercy for each other and really caring about. All of this is is operating at a level of love much deeper than the world, much deeper than than even families in the world. It's God's love. It's It's that invitation to be part of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a much deeper love that I care about what happens to my brother, my sister. I care what hurts them, what what what's what's what is damaging them or what's happening to them. And it's what makes the kingdom of God so beautiful. Because the kingdom of God is where everybody loves each other. And in the church we're trying to be that. We're trying. We're not always there though. And there's times where we have to figure it out and work on it and work on what we got to repent of so we can get there and be the kingdom of God, you know. But keeping in mind, the kingdom of God is much bigger than the church. Amos said, this is how strongly God feels about this. 
This is a classic scripture about God's justice. He says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river and righteous, righteousness like a never-failing stream. I mean, that, that, that shows you how strong God is about this. That we really love each other, stand up for each other, support each other, help each other, believe in each other. That he, you know, if if you're going to be divided, if you're going to abuse one another, if you're going to be a racist or prejudiced against the poor or, or against women or, or, you know, if you're going to be hateful to somebody because they're different or not be merciful, then he says, I despise your religious festivals. I hate them. I mean, <laughs> I mean imagine God said, I hate your church. Oh my gosh. I, I can't stand your meetings. Your meetings stink to me. Even though you bring burnt offerings and you, you give all this, you give contribution, you give missions, you give special contribution, I'm not going to accept it. I don't, I don't even want to be around you guys. I don't want to fellowship with you. I have no regard for what you give. And away from me and all your worship and your, and your videos and your music and your songs and all that harmonizing, it's garbage to me. And your instruments. I mean, can you imagine hearing God say that? That's how important justice is to him. That's how important that we do what's righteous before him. Justice and righteousness like a never failing stream. So is this a big deal? Yeah, it's a big deal. Is it a big deal to God? Oh yeah, you bet it's a big deal to God. You know, it's just, you know, I think about, gosh, and you read, you, you've, I'm sure you've run into this. I've read it a thousand times. You probably read it, you know, a few yourself is, is that America ne is never so divided as it is on Sunday mornings that everybody goes to their churches where everybody looks like them. And it has been one of the, one of the things that we could say in the ICOC. Now we strive for diversity. We want to love everybody. We want everybody to feel at home. But the truth is, in society, that's the way it is out there. That's the world we live in. And it makes me wonder how God feels about all those services. And, you know, even for us, which we are awakening, we are awakening. It's not just the, the racial prejudice in the world. It's even the stuff that's been in the church, albeit much more subtle, much more below the table. But it's there. And we have to be in the name of justice and mercy. Let's turn all the lights on. Let's get it all out there. And, and, and let's really learn how to love each other. Let's really learn how to just go there, talk it out, listen to each other. And the spirit of Philippians 2, care not only about our own interests, but to the interest of others, putting others before ourselves and bring about that justice. And really be the kingdom of God, where, where, where former enemies can truly love each other and truly be one in the spirit. You know, this, this is another example of God's heart about it. In Exodus 23, 
It says, verse 1, Do not spread false reports. Do not help a guilty person by being malicious witness. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. And do not show favoritism to a poor person in a lawsuit. If you come across your enemy, your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under under its under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help them with it. Do not deny justice to your poor per, to to your poor people in their lawsuits. Have nothing to do with a false charge and do not put an innocent or honest person to death. For I will not acquit the guilty. Do not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds those who see and twist the words of the innocent. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. I mean, all these laws, they're all about justice. They're all about being fair. They're all about taking care of one another and not giving in to our sinful natures of us versus them, of dividing ourselves or being prejudicial or, or being racist or or any of those things, you know, that, that we treat each other with fairness and equity. It's very important to God. In Romans 13 I want to I want to show this because part of what we have to do in the scriptures always is find that balance that makes us scriptural. What do, what do I mean by that? Like for example, John one it says Jesus came full of grace and truth. Okay, so grace is love and mercy and kindness. Truth is truth, right? Truth is what we use to judge things. What is judgment? What is righteousness? What is holiness? Is truth. They're they're kind of the opposites, not really. They're just they're the left rail on the right rail. Like some people have a hard time with grace because they feel like if you preach grace, then people will just go out and sin. You have to preach judgment, righteousness, holiness, and God's punishment. Because that's what's going to keep people in line. If they think that God's just going to forgive them for whatever they do, they're just going to run out and send up a storm. And there are people that are very much afraid of grace because of that. So they have a hard time with grace. And they definitely don't want to preach it because they feel like they're just going to give everybody a license for sin. And yet, the Bible overwhelmingly preaches and teaches that we need to be people full of grace. Rich in God's grace, right? Likewise, there are people that are afraid of truth and righteousness and holiness being preached too much because it's easy to become legalistic where all you're doing is, you know, you're counting how long did you have your quiet time for and what's the truth and did you read your Bible? Did you memorize your scriptures? Did you, did you do everything just right? And what's the truth about it? You know, and, and, and it's easy if you take that too far to become legalistic and they're afraid that if you preach this then everybody's going to be legalistic and become like the Pharisees basically that's how the Pharisees became the Pharisees well the truth is you need both you need you need truth and you need grace 
but they're more like guardrails. You know, the, the life of Christ is in the middle. And sometimes some of us are going to be a little more to the left. Some of us are going to be a little more to the right. But we have to stay within those guardrails. That's the scriptures, right? Those are the scriptures. Um, in Deuteronomy 5.32, he says, So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. And I think this is really important right now. And we're going we're gonna to close out this class with these thoughts because they're super important right now. You know, part of, part of the, the hassle of even treating a subject like social justice or wrestling with it is that it overlaps with politics so much. And we all know we don't want to get into politics as disciples because that could split the church. That could split us racially. That could split us politically. That could split us in all kinds of ways. Economically. I mean, there's, you know, politics have a, just, they have a way of splitting up people. And and the subject itself. And never have I ever seen it so hot as it is nowadays. And so volatile. And so polarized right now. So for that reason, sometimes we'll just, we won't even bring up social justice and social issues. And I think in all honesty, that's probably been one of the main reasons the church that I'm a part of, that you're a part of, if you go to our, our churches, that, that, that we've been pretty silent on it all because we're afraid of coming across political. And, and the problem is if you don't say anything, then you're violating scriptures that tell us to speak up. You're, tell, you're violating scriptures that tell us to stand up and fight for and liberate and, and do all those scriptures we're looking at of what we're supposed to go and do. We can't do those without acting out social justice. And then that becomes dangerously close to politics. So how do you stay out of that? Well, you stay out of that by obeying the scripture. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. In other words, don't let yourself get pulled to the right politically or to the left politically. Stick to scriptures. If there's a verse on it, obey it. If there's not, it's an opinion. And understand the difference between an opinion and a, and a command from God. And this is what keeps us safe. Is there going to be some overlap in the political realm? Of course there is. If you march... For if you go and you protest or you write something against abuse, you know, some people are going to see that as being leftist, as being politically democratic or, but also it goes the other way. If you, if you write for, if you write or say something about how wrong abortion is, some people are going to accuse that of being right wing, being Republican, you know, and, and because there's overlap in these areas and absolutely Democrats and Republicans both claim a certain part of Christianity and certain segments of Christianity, but neither are holy Christian. Neither are disciples of Jesus. They're just, they're, they're philosophies that guide society. Our guiding light, our guiding principles are the scriptures, are God. And so we have to know how to take, when we read scripture, Sometimes we're looking at the right guardrail. Sometimes we're looking at the left. A scripture that I've actually heard um, 
quoted a lot, Romans 13. It says, let everyone be subject. Actually, I quoted it too, so not just heard it. I said it. Um, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. We read this when we were talking about COVID and the restrictions. Um, but but it has to say to other things too. It says, let everyone be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror over for those who do right, but for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from fear of, of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Okay, so there's a, there's a right rail right there. Boom, there it is. Stay in obedience, obey the government. Don't don't give in to anarchy or or rebelling against the government. Now the left rail is stand up for, speak out for, defend the cause, you know, do justice, all those scriptures. Here's a right rail. So where do we operate? Well, in the middle, the path of Jesus, right? We we operate in the middle there. We're, we're careful not to, we're not just a bunch of rebels. That's why, as it has been very clear, the very same people who are cheering the protests and the marches are also condemning the looting and the robbing, okay? Because that crosses the line. Standing up for, defending, and speaking up for does not have anything to do, has nothing to do with looting, right? And But likewise, because some people looted doesn't mean that everybody who stood up for and spoke out for was doing wrong. They're doing what they believe they've been called by God to do, to go out there and speak up for the oppressed, to go out there and stand up for the oppressed. So so it, it is that balance. And, and again, I, I told you at the very beginning, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you what the scriptures tell us. And and is that going to be completely conclusive and detailed and, and pragmatic? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Sometimes it's just the guardrails. Okay, I know when I've gone too far to the right or when I've gone too far to the left. So I've got to operate here somewhere in the middle that I need to be respectful and obedient to the government and the laws. And yet I also need to speak up for, defend, and, and uphold the cause of the oppressed and the needy. So how we do that, and there's there's where the journey is. There's where we wrestle. And we'll talk more specifically about that in the next class, but about the more of the practicals of things we can do for sure. And there'll be other things that I don't think of, but maybe you think of and would love to, to, to even have a chance to get feedback uh, on the, especially on the last class. But, but what is very clear in summary is that God cares about justice. He cares about justice, and he cares about mercy, and he cares about truth. And truth and humility go together. Humility and faith, they're both rooted in truth. And you cannot you can't take truth out of the out of out of it because 
If you take truth out, then we're just a bunch of emotional, sentimental people. You got to have truth in there, but you've got it. But the truth is always guided by love, by mercy, by, by faith, by kindness, because truth without love is harsh and overbearing. And so you can't separate them. You got to keep them all together. And we strive for all of them. And some of us are better at truth. Some of us are better at mercy. If you're better at truth and righteousness, then you got a lot to learn about mercy. And that's where you should be really focused. If you're better about mercy and kindness, not so good at truth and holiness and righteousness, then you got to make sure and you keep your eyes focused there and, and be aware of that rail so that you don't cross that line. And that keeps us all in the way of Jesus. He's the way, the truth, the life that keeps us on the correct path. So stay on the guardrails, stay in the guardrails. Don't go off any cliffs, but let's keep marching forward. Let's keep marching forward as we learn. And we're all growing and learning here how to do this. So we'll stop there. God bless you. Have a great, have a great day today. And we'll see you in our next class. You've just listened to the Metro LA podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com 